in this life, those who are effectively called by God to God, right? like Eric was saying, praying earlier, that that's a work of the Spirit, right? We owe it all to God, our call to Him. In this life, those who are effectively called by God to God share in justification, adoption, and sanctification, and the further benefits in this life which accompany or flow from them. Okay? So the benefits in this life, justification, adoption, sanctification. We looked at last week, the first one, question 33, what is justification? Justification is an act of God's free grace in which he pardons or forgives all our sins and accepts us as righteous in his sight for the sake of the righteousness of Christ alone, which is credited to us and received by faith alone. Thank you, Lord, right? A free gift, right? God's free grace, his spirit leading and dwelling us, we are a work of God. Question 34, what is adoption? This is the second benefit in this life. What is adoption? Answer, adoption is again an act of God's free grace by which we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. John chapter 1, verse 12. But as many as received him, Christ, to them gave he the right to become the sons, the children of God, even to them that believe on his name. Romans 8, 17. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. I just put a footnote there. An heir is a person inheriting and continuing the legacy of a predecessor. We will share with Jesus his glory, but we must also share with his suffering. Right? Right? We're, we're not promised an easygoing Right? Perfect life, but we're promised peace amidst the suffering. We share with Jesus his glory, but we also share with his suffering. The believer is not declared right. The believer is not only declared righteous, he is also brought into God's family. And once so brought by God's grace, he is there forever. Right? That's adoption. Adoption is an act of God's free grace by which we are received into the number and have a right to all the privileges of the sons of God. The third benefit in this life, question 35, what is sanctification? Sanctification is again the work of God's free grace by which we are renewed throughout in the image of God and enabled more and more to die to sin and to live to righteousness. 2 Thessalonians 
Yeah, that, that makes, that's just so true, right? Like, if we look back as at our Christian life, we're sinning less than we used to, right? As we are faithfully following Jesus, that's a work of God's free grace. 2 Thessalonians 2.13 God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation through sanctification of the Spirit and belief of the truth. Again, this is the Spirit's work in us so that none of us can boast. Romans 6, 4, 6, 12, 13, and 14. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life, knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Let no sin therefore reign in your mortal body, that ye should obey it in the lust thereof. Neither yield ye your members as instruments of unrighteousness unto sin, but yield yourselves unto God, as though that are alive from the dead, and your members as instruments of righteousness unto God. For sin shall not have dominion over you, for ye are not under the law, but under grace. 2 Corinthians 7.1 Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. I, I, what really struck me there about reading that Romans was the part that says, yield yourselves unto God, right? And then he promises to cleanse us, right? We yield. This is why we do it by faith, right? We yield ourselves by faith to Jesus, okay? God made, I just had a little thing here I wrote down. God made everything good, right, back in the creation in Genesis, including us, but we rejected his authority over us, right? That's sin, okay? We weren't yielded to God. But, 1 Peter 2.24, who his own self bear our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sins, should not live on dead to sins, should live unto righteousness, right? Jesus, by whose stripes ye were healed, right? Now, right, we yield ourselves unto God Jesus, right? By whose stripes we are healed, okay? What is sanctification? Sanctification is the work of God's free grace by which we are renewed throughout in the image of God and are enabled more and more to die to sin and live to righteousness. Sanctification means making a person holy. 
It is called a work because although the believer has made a definite break with his old life, his being made actually holy is carried on by degrees. It is a renewal because it restores us so as to be like God made us in the beginning. Being conformed to the image of God happens by looking to Jesus, believing who he is and what he says, and therefore submitting to his authority. Lord God, we thank you once again so much for this teaching that you've provided us through your saints of past. Lord, help us as a, a contemporary body to embrace your historic church and to be blessed and built on their teaching that is connected all the way back to the apostles, the ones you walked with and proclaimed the word of life. Help us to cherish and be connected to have that connection, to be taught by you through them. And so we pray that your word would do a great work in our hearts, Lord. And we trust in it. It's a free gift of grace. All of it. Justification, adoption, sanctification. Help us understand this, Lord, and be bold about it. And not be uh, wishy-washy, but be confident that it's all a gift from you, Lord. This just fills us with gratitude and joy to live more for you and to proclaim your greatness. Lord, when we think it's our works, we shrink back and don't proclaim you because we want to take credit and we're not confident because it's not true. It's none of our righteousness, Lord. We're a total work of you, so help us be confident in you and what you say to us. Not to be deceived by a false religion, Lord, but to be built and established on your truth spoken to us. And now we pray for our time through the book of Matthew, Lord. These are your words, Lord. We pray for your leading us through it by your Holy Spirit, which you gave, us, gave to us upon your ascension, that lives and dwells, guides us to you, Lord, convicts us, conforms us. We pray for this time in your word, and thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Matthew chapter 16. Matthew chapter 16. We're just going to look at a few verses today. The first four verses of Matthew chapter 16. Page 578. Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 4. 578. Got it, buds? All right. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting, asked him that he would show them a sign from heaven. 
He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning it will be fall weather, today for the sky is red and threatening. O ye hypocrites! Ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall be no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Okay, something that, uh, kind of a theme we've been seeing here over and over with Jesus and the religious leaders of his time, that they were unimpressed with him. Okay? And just like today, I think this is kind of sums up our view of Jesus. We're unimpressed with him. The other day, someone asked me, said, uh, So Mike, uh, have you had any new revelations from God? My response to that is Hebrews chapter 1. Oop, went a little too far there, Maurice. What, if, if you want, you just look in the index, okay, and it'll tell you the page, and that that's sometimes the fastest. You're close there. Hebrews chapter 1. We're unimpressed with Jesus. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. God, who in many portions and in many ways spake in times past, unto the fathers by the prophets, hath in these last days spoken unto us by his Son, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. i uh, just looking for, I want to see, or the ages, right. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his persons and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins or cleansed our sins, sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. In Jesus, the fullness of God dwells. Colossians 2.9 Right? And as we read earlier, Matthew 28, 18, all power and authority belongs to him. Right? We already have the full revelation of God. His name is Jesus. Right? But our sin, our rebellion of Jesus and his church, the body of Christ, continues to make us unimpressed with Jesus. Jesus says we honor him with our lips, but our hearts are far from him. Matthew chapter 15, verse 8. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 16. Five seventy-eight, Grace. Grace. 
So the religious leaders in today's passage are trying to trap Jesus. Verse number 1 of chapter 16, Matthew. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting or testing, asked him that he would show them a sign from heaven. Right? Do you have any new revelations from God? The religious leaders are tempting him. They're testing him. This is exactly what the devil did to Jesus in the wilderness. Let's turn back to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. And we'll read verses 1 through 7. Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Then was Jesus led up of the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted of the devil. And when he had fasted forty days and forty nights, he was afterward hungry. And when the tempter came to him, he said, If thou be the Son of God, command that these stones be made bread. But he answered and said, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. Then the devil taketh him up into the holy city, and setteth him on a pinnacle of the temple, and saith unto him, If thou be the Son of God, cast thyself down, for it is written, He shall give his angels charge concerning thee. And in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thou dash thy foot against the stone. Jesus said unto him, It is written again, Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. Right? So Jesus' response to the devil tempting or testing him, You shall not test the Lord your God. What do you think Jesus' response to us is when we test him? When we go against his word, right? When we go against his authority over all things. When we disrespect his church that he is the head of. You shall not test the Lord your God. Back to Matthew chapter 16. This particular testing or tempting by the religious rulers is with a sign. Verse 1. They asked him to show them a sign from heaven. In, in just the previous two chapters of Matthew, we witnessed Jesus feed 5,000 plus people and then 4,000 plus people with just a couple of fish and some pieces of bread. And then we saw Jesus heal every single person that was laid at his feet, and yet we want more signs from him. Right? This is our speech. Why is this happening in my life? Why isn't this happening in my life? What is God doing? He needs to show me something. Jesus healing people and feeding people, quote, appealed less forcibly to a generation possessed by a passion for display. 
Jesus' healing and feeding people, quote, appealed less forcibly to a generation possessed by a passion for display. This is our sin, right? Jesus isn't good enough for us. We have a passion for display. This is what we talked about in last week's passage, where Jesus healed and fed all those that were before him. We disrespect Jesus. We always forget his complete and total competence in all things. Even when those things are not going the way we want or think that they should go, he is still completely and totally competent in all things. Right? It's not our will be done. His will will be done. Bible commentator Matthew Henry, quote, Every miracle Christ wrought was a sign. But this will not serve. They must have a sign of their own choosing. They despise those signs which relieved the necessity of the sick and sorrowful and assisted upon some sign which would gratify the curiosity of the proud. Right? That's why we want a sign, right? To gratify the curiosity of the proud. This is our sin, right? In our pride of self, Jesus and his doing with our life, what he wills isn't good enough for us. We insist on some other sign. A sign which will gratify the curiosity of our pride. Right? We are just like the religious leaders of Jesus' day. We are self-righteous. We, we assert ourselves right in front of God's own face. This is why we sin against Jesus, why we go against his commands for our life, because we think and act like we know better than he does. And this sin, right, these choices we make against his will is why our lives are filled with sorrow and discontentment, right? These are signs of death, sorrow and discontentment. He that has the Son has life, and he that has not the Son of God has not life. When we go against Jesus and his word for our lives, we don't have life. But when we are for Jesus and his words for our lives, then we have life. Jesus says, I come that they might have life and ha that they might have it abundantly. Right? Endless amounts of signs will never satisfy us because this desire for more signs is coming from a heart that is dissatisfied with Jesus. These people honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Matthew chapter 16, verses 1 through 3. The Pharisees also with the Sadducees came and tempting asked him that he would show them a sign from heaven. He answered and said unto them, When it is evening, you say it will be fair weather, for the sky is red. 
And in the morning it will be fall weather today, for the sky is red and uh, threatening. O oh, ye hypocrites, ye can discern the face of the sky, but can ye not discern the signs of the times? I'm going to share with you a quote from uh, the Christ-centered uh, Christ expository preaching from the book of Matthew. Jesus criticized these religious leaders because they were all focused on temporal matters. They could discern weather patterns, yet they were all blind to eternal realities. Amid their supposed knowledge of God and His ways, they were missing the signs of God was performing right in front of them in the promised Christ the Messiah. They paid so much attention to things like changing weather conditions that they were missing epic-changing epoch changes in the history of redemption. Could they not see? God had broken into the world, coming as a man to heal the sick, raise the dead, cast out demons, quiet storms, and bring salvation. Christ's entire earthly ministry was evidence of the victory of God over sin, suffering, the devil, and demons. Those who saw Jesus got a foretaste of a kingdom that will never be destroyed. All of this was being done right before their eyes, and the Pharisees and the Sadducees were missing it. All right? When I was studying this and reading that, I couldn't help but think about our kids uh, being baptized a few weeks ago. And so when we shared this with some Christians, they were like, oh, you don't do full body immersion? Not, praise God, we're so excited that the kids are professing faith in being cleansed by the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Right? Saints all throughout church history have been practicing different modes of baptism. Immersion, sprinkling, pouring, dipping have always been appropriate modes of baptism in the church. The important thing is that baptism is a sign, a seal, a confirmation that the recipient is being cleansed by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit because they trust in Jesus. Right? But like in today's passage, we're more concerned about the temporal, the physical, rather than the spiritual. The religious leaders could discern weather patterns, but they couldn't discern Jesus. We in the church are going to sit here and be stubborn about modes of baptism instead of praising God for someone confessing and trusting in Jesus. Quote, don't miss the strong word of warning here. Self-indulgence and self-righteousness will blind you from seeing and knowing Jesus. Right? Self-indulgence and self-righteousness will blind you from seeing and knowing Jesus. That's the goal. Right? Love God with all your mind, body, and soul. Right? Knowing Jesus. Like a little bit of yeast that inevitably spreads, these heart attitudes will slowly ruin your soul. So guard against a focus on this world. 
what you can achieve in the here and now that blinds you to the world to come. Focus on what matters for all eternity by fixing your eyes on Jesus Christ. That's what the whole Bible is trying to get us to do. To fix our eyes on the author and finisher of our faith. Our last verse today, Matthew chapter 16, verse 4. Jesus said to the religious leaders, A wicked and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given unto it, but the sign of the prophet Jonah. And he left them and departed. Okay? We might think that people who seek signs are spiritual, right? Oh, I want to see God. I need more signs, right? But Jesus teaches us here that all such seekings are sensual, right? These are people who want their senses gratified for their own pleasure. These are people are characterized as marriage breakers, right? An adulterous generation, it says. These are people who look to please themselves instead of pleasing God. Why are people so desperate for more signs? Because they want to have their senses gratified. Because they are not satisfied with Jesus. We are guilty of committing adultery. Instead of wanting Jesus, we want idols created by ourselves in our own images to gratify ourselves, right? But Jesus says here, no sign will be given it, this adulterous generation, except the sign of Jonah, okay? Jesus actually addressed this earlier back in Matthew chapter 12. Let's look at that. This will be our last path. Well, actually not quite. Matthew chapter 12, Jesus addresses this. No sign will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Matthew chapter 12, uh, verse 38. Matthew chapter 12, verse 38. Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. But he answered and said unto them, an evil and adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. Okay? As the church, right, we only need and we only have one significant sign. That is the all-sufficient sign in Jesus' cross and resurrection. It's all contained in the gospel. Everything we need. The full revelation of God, right? But we are willing to give up God so that our feelings can be satisfied. Think about this. This is what we're guilty of. We want our feelings to be legitimized, right? But God wants to be with us. What is better, right? We want our feelings to be legitimized, but God wants to be with us. Jesus came to us 
to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sins and was resurrected from the grave, giving us his Holy Spirit to lead us to him. God has given us his spirit to believe in Jesus, his righteousness credited to us. So now we can forsake our continued sin by following Jesus, obeying his commandments, so that we can be conformed to his righteous image. Right? What other sign do we need? Jesus and his body, broken and bled for us, his church, are more important than our feelings. Right? We don't need any more signs. Jesus' death and resurrection is the one-time sign that is all-sufficient. Right? We looked at it earlier. For what? For the world's justification by God. Right? For the world's adoption as God's children. And for the world's sanctification as God's holy people. All of it. For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in him shall never die but have eternal life. Right? Jesus is the only sign the world will ever need. And I just want to close with 1 Corinthians chapter 1. First Corinthians chapter 1, the last few verses, 30 and 31 there. First Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. But by God's doing, you are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. That according as it is written, he that glorieth, let him glory in the Lord. Right? Jesus is the only sign that anyone will ever need. Let's pray.